So, hey, hey, welcome back to the show and welcome back to the show, Sarah. Hi, hello. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, you're my first guest that's actually returned to the show. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So, oh, oh, wow. Amazing. So, yeah, let's uh, hope I leave a good impression. (laughs) (laughs) If you didn't already, which I'm sure you did. So you came on, I think, early on in the show to talk about um, Warrior Kind and how that has um, evolved and grown and how you found your purpose in life from perhaps a bit of adversity, which we'll get into today. And at the time, we kind of alluded to the fact that you were going to be doing a TEDx Folkestone talk, but we didn't really go into it. So um, really happy that you're back here today to talk about um, your talk, which was entitled Alcoholism, the Deadly Truth About Its Stigma. So I really want people to go off and watch your talk. There'll be a link in the show notes to, to do just that. But why don't you just kind of give us the lowdown on what that was all about where it came from and uh yeah give people a sense it's going to make them want to go and watch your your talk of course so I never ever in a million years imagined that I would ever been able to deliver a TED talk I was under the impression that it you had to be an academic you had to be an expert and with the right encouragement, <laughs> I um, gave it a shot and I applied. And I, I had I was sitting on this idea ever since I lost my dad. Um, and coming from that lived experience and watching the way he died and watching um, his lack of confidence to get support because of the stigma and because of that shame and humiliation that was placed upon him, I had this idea that alcohol didn't just kill my dad right the stigma did because had my dad felt empowered to go and seek support like somebody for instance I mean 90% of lung cancers are caused by smoking and I can guarantee the vast majority of those lung cancer patients who have smoked and contracted lung cancer as a consequence would feel empowered or feel confident to go and speak to their doctor about that illness they wouldn't feel Um, any shame or any stereotype or stigma so my dad had PTSD had depression he had anxiety and he drank to numb those feelings because you know his generation taught him that it was a weakness to talk about your mental health so instead he drank but the ironic thing was and the catch-22 was that either way he was stigmatized Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that the drinking, well, we all know what people say about alcoholics, that we all know that the phrases that are said about them, the stuff that's directed towards them, it's self-inflicted, it's a weakness, you've done this to yourself, um, it's your own fault you're in this situation. We had people in A&E roll their eyes, touch, shake their heads. And some of those people were paramedics. And it was at that point I thought, okay, this this is why you didn't want to come and get help. So all those years that I said to him, you're selfish, because I did that. And I openly admit that in the talk. I I said stuff like that to him. You're selfish. You're you're doing this to yourself. Think about your family. Look what this is doing to us. He had no choice because once you're addicted to alcohol, then you have to carry on drinking. Otherwise, you'll die from the withdrawal effects. So my poor dad was in this catch-22 situation of, well, 
I don't feel confident enough to go and get support because I feel so embarrassed and ashamed, which he said to me, he told me that he felt ashamed. He felt this was a weakness. He felt that him going to hospital or him seeking support was taking up doctor's time that could be spent on somebody with a, a genuine illness, as he put it. Um, so, but he couldn't come off the drink because he was physically dependent on it. So he had to carry on drinking. And it was such a vicious circle that I didn't fully understand until he died. And when I watched people's reactions, when I heard feedback from people that would say to me, you know, Sarah, your dad did this to himself. And I thought, at that point, I thought, well, what about smoking related illnesses? What about obesity? What about type two diabetes, coronary heart disease, 80% of coronary heart diseases? are caused by lifestyle choices, lack of exercise, what we eat, what we drink. What about all of those illnesses, high blood pressure, high cholesterol? I have high cholesterol. Does that mean that if I have a stroke in the future, because I've not been very good at watching um, cholesterol levels, does that mean it's self-inflicted and I don't deserve that treatment? It's that kind of attitude. It's that stigma that prevented my dad from accessing life-saving support which literally, it is literally that, it is literally life-saving. And I genuinely believe the stigma killed my dad. Um, so that is what brought this idea about, and I started doing more research. It was incredibly difficult because the more I delved into it, the more research I did, the more responsibility I took upon myself and the more I felt guilty that why didn't I realize this when he was alive? Mm. Why did it take him to die for me to realize that alcoholism is a disease? It's a chronic relapsing brain disorder. It, it is characterized or categorized as a disease within the clinical um, world. It's one of the only drugs where you can become physically dependent on. It is the only drug that we shame people for not drinking. If I go to a party and tell somebody, no, I'm not drinking, then I'm either pregnant, the designated driver or a recovering alcoholic mm -hmm. or a party or a party pooper. So you're shamed for not drinking and you're shamed for drinking too much. Mm -hmm. So it is the most accessible legal substance you can get on the market, but one of the most poisonous. So you can't go into um, the supermarket and buy a pack of cigarettes because without them being covered with a screen, they're covered. There's graphic warning labels attached to them. I can't buy two packs of cocodamol because you know, codeine's addictive. But my dad could go into the same shop every day, buy a liter of vodka for three weeks, which ultimately killed him. Mm -hmm. If and I would have- Blink an eyelid, right? No one would actually say, <laughs> you can't have you, you've had a, a, a litre yesterday yeah there's there's none it, of that it's not governed it's not governed if I was if I was to walk into my pharmacy every day and buy a pack of cocodamol um they would put they would earmark me and they would probably pull me aside and say you know codeine's addictive and, and it's on the packet this is an addictive substance alcohol is heavily promoted when the football was on for instance the first thing you can see when you walk into a supermarket is crates of Stella, crates of Foster's, cider, everything stacked, discounted, promoted. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't drink, right? I'm, I'm not being everything in moderation, right? I, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is you cannot hold on to that mindset that alcoholics are self-indulgent and weak 
or they don't deserve NHS treatment because somebody has said that to me before somebody actually wow. argued with me that we should take away their NHS rights there is actually an article from 2014 in the metro where nurses are basically saying that we shouldn't be treating alcoholics in any because they're wasting valuable resources but the people coming in with chest pain and heart attacks, because that's what they actually referenced. They said, you know, we're dealing with stroke patients, heart attack patients. What has caused that heart attack and stroke? Like, really, the vast majority, if we're being really honest about this, the vast majority of heart attack and stroke patients, the, the causes of those illnesses are lifestyle choices. Mm-hmm. What you're eating, your stress levels, your lack of exercise. So how can you say that? That's massively contradicting. Like it, I, I just don't understand it. And sadly, it took watching my dad die to realise how one, how deadly alcohol is. Because let me tell you, it is not a nice way to go. It is incredibly the damage it causes to your liver is irreparable once you get to a certain point. There's not enough awareness around that. There's not enough awareness around how you can't just go cold turkey with alcohol. Um, We think, we don't know, but we think that's what my dad did. We think, I'm pretty sure towards the end, he got frightened. He knew that the damage had been done. He knew he'd gone too far and he stopped. He just abruptly stopped. Um, And then from there, within 30 hours of being admitted to A&E, we were switching off his life support machine. So... There's not enough awareness around that. The stigma, the looks he got in the hospital, the comments he got from people, it is just, it needs to change. Like there, I said in my talk, there's 1.6 million, and this was pre-pandemic. We're not taking into consideration the amount of um, problem drinking that's happened during the pandemic, because it has, and we mm-hmm. know that. But we know pre-pandemic, there were 1.6 million dependent drinkers in the UK. So dependent, when I say dependent, I mean they're physically dependent on alcohol. If they stop drinking, if all those 1.6 million people suddenly stop drinking, I mean, we'd have a different pandemic on our hands. Mm -hmm. Quite literally, we would have 1.6 million people in need of urgent detox, in need of treatment, urgent treatment. And it's just, I just think it's such... I... I think it's one of those, isn't it, where there are so many contradicting elements when you talk about alcohol addiction and you talk about alcohol. Like I said at the beginning, it's the only substance, legal poison substance, that you're shamed for not drinking, but shamed for drinking too much. Yeah. So, and once it grips you, it's gripped you, and it grips everybody differently. Everyone's tolerance for alcohol is very different. Um, and that's to do there is a science behind that um, and I recommend um, for people to find out more they read a book from Professor David Nutts he's a neuropsychopharmacologist he's done a lot of research in this area this is his area of expertise Um, but his book is called Drink and it talks about the poison effects of alcohol it talks about why we become addicted to it it talks about why we can't just stop drinking alcohol once you're physically dependent on it Um, and he basically says a lot of what I'm advocating for that, you know, this is a legal toxic substance that is easily accessible. You can get your hands on it everywhere you go, but yet we're shaming people when they get addicted to it. And you can't help that if you're going to get addicted to alcohol, 
you it's a brain it's a brain disorder You, you cannot help that so to shame those people and stigmatize and stereotype discriminate whatever you want to call it you're preventing those people from accessing support and my point was proven when the talk was released I did a lot of self-promotion around it on um, Instagram, especially. Now, it's not that I'm self-promoting because I want to raise a personal brand awareness. It's not an egotistical thing like that at all. Like people want to share my talk. I say to them, share it. I'm not bothered if you tag me or not. Like I just want the message out there. I want my dad's story out there. I cannot tell you because I physically can't count them all. There's been that many. I can't tell you how many people recovering from alcohol addiction or actively going through alcohol addiction a private messaged me and god it gets me emotional they thanked me for for being that voice and they've said that I felt insecure and unconfident to access support because of the stigma you're what you're saying is absolutely right and thank you um and they're all saying that my dad's story is going on to help people and I know that's what he would want and yeah that's where that was the whole point of the talk it was to create that kind of um to have that impact to have that powerful lasting impact where people would go wow I never thought about it that way or um people in that situation feeling empowered to seek treatment and not being shamed into silence and anonymity because shaming them into silence, shaming them into being anonymous. How many stop smoking groups advocate anonymity? Like, you just don't get it. Like, so to shame people into feeling they can't openly say, I need help, I've got a problem with drink and I need help. The more we're going to do that, the vicious circle will just continue and more people are going to die from alcohol addiction like my dad. Mm -hmm. So I think I've gone off a gone off on a little bit of a tangent haven't I sorry the passion prevails and it takes over (laughs) as always and I love the passion and I think that's the thing about your talk that stands out against probably any other talk that I've ever seen is that it's so emotive so personable and like deep and moving I cried every time whether it was I saw you (laughs) Like, saw you read out your very first um, kind of stab at an application or whether it was you in rehearsals or whether it was a sneak peek we got before it was released at the event or at the event. I've cried every time I've seen it. Let's not forget that this is all for a man called Steve, right? You've actually started a hashtag now. For a man Um, called Steve. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. And which is just beautiful as well, because it comes back to, I guess, this legacy you wanted to create for your dad which is just beautifully done and what I was when you were talking about the messages you received I think that's so wonderful that it's starting there and it's actually encouraging people to come forward and start to go oh okay I'm not alone because that's a big part of people actually making a move to to help themselves right um but I guess in any sort of movement or change that we need to see around this stigma we, we need to see more people like our listeners perhaps on this podcast going oh where do I play a part in this I may not know an alcoholic or I might not be dependent on alcohol myself but how do I stigmatize alcoholics or alcohol or how do I speak to my friends 
when they're not having a drink at a party and that kind of thing. That's the sort of change we need to see in the conversation, right? Absolutely, 100%. And there are ways you can do that and support the movement or any movement to do with breaking down the stigma towards alcohol. I don't think I'm the only one that's actively trying to change this at the moment. There's few of us, um, but there is a movement out there happening. Um, So ways you can help, for instance, don't sober shame. If somebody comes to a party and they don't want to drink, they're choosing not to drink for a reason. Now, there's many reasons somebody would choose not to drink, including cultural reasons. Um, They may be pregnant. Um, they may they may have a drink problem they may decide or they may be like me whose relationship with alcohol has changed drastically since the loss of my dad because I associate alcohol with it killed my dad so I don't necessarily like don't get me wrong I might may occasionally have a drink but I can probably count on one hand how many I will have throughout an entire year so there are many reasons why somebody might not decide to drink they might just not want to exactly so yeah. many times I don't want to wake up with a hangover the next exactly time. exactly so let, let's stop with the sober shaming you there's plenty of ways you can have fun without having a drink um like it's not the be all and end all if you want to drink great good for you if you don't great good for you um so we can start with changing that other ways are there's one common misconception and I have to say this because it really frustrates me um I and I never really like saying this because I don't like it sounding as though I'm um a, like some do-gooder looking for praise but if I ever walk past a homeless person and like there was there was a local chap uh, he recently passed away sadly but I would always make a point if I passed him, I'd always give him something. Um, and a lot of the time it was money. And so people would say to me, why are you giving him money? He's only going to spend it on booze. And I thought that man could have been my dad. If my dad didn't have the support network he had, the loving, caring family putting a roof over his head, supporting him, that could have been my dad. So I always walk past him and I always have this attachment of how can I help? I can't. What can I do at the moment? And who are we to judge what, if they want to go and spend money on alcohol, that, you know, that could be life-saving. They might need that. If they're physically dependent on it, then they need it. Um, I always, again, always make a point of signposting them or asking them, talking to them and asking questions and stuff like that. But in this particular case, he was an alcoholic. Um, and... People are so dead set against helping because they think, oh, well, they've done that to themselves. They're on the streets. They've done it to themselves because they got addicted to alcohol. It's their own fault. No, it's not. <laughs> it, it is no more their fault than it is somebody smoking, somebody eating the wrong foods, somebody who doesn't look after themselves. Does that mean they deserve that? It, nobody should ever deserve to be in that situation. And nobody should ever judge like that. So perhaps people could help by actually maybe watching the talk or watching other talks around the same subject, educating themselves, really putting things into perspective, talking about it to people, challenging people. If somebody says that to you, don't stay silent. Say to them, well, actually, I always do. If somebody says to me, 
even on social media, and I hate getting involved in politics on social media or arguing with keyboard warriors. I, I just, I tend to avoid it. But with this subject, I try to educate because not everybody has that same level of understanding and awareness. I didn't have that level of understanding and awareness when my dad was alive. And I'm not blaming everybody. I'm not saying to everyone, it's your fault, you need blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying we have a responsibility to educate ourselves on this because there is a serious issue happening behind the scenes and it could happen to anyone. It could happen if somebody goes through something traumatic like my dad did and finds alcohol as their crutch because they didn't feel that they could go and seek support because it's mental illness and there's still a massive stigma attached to that. Then they start drinking. It could happen to anyone. And it's, we have a responsibility to empower and encourage recovery openly and freely with no judgment, no discrimination, no stereotype. You do not know somebody's background. You do not know what led them to that situation. So as collectively, we can change that by stopping with that judgment. It's very narrow-minded of us to assume that, oh, they've done that to themselves because you just don't know what they've been through. If I could sit here all day and tell you all the rubbish stuff my dad went through, which I'm surprised he survived as long as he did, if I'm really honest, because he went through some horrific stuff. He didn't deserve that level of criticism. Mm. He deserved help. And millions of other people are in exactly the same situation. Millions of people are also in denial because of the stigma. They don't want to openly admit. They might think, they might know deep down, yeah, I do have a problem, but I, I don't want to open up and say this. We have a responsibility as a society to educate ourselves and to become more aware and understanding. And that is the key. That is how we can move forward and save people is by empowering them to recovery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I remember from hearing your story before, that you towards the end of your dad's life you actually called was it what was it helpline helpline and you were actually um pushed back because it needed to be your dad that called so presumably we need reform in the kind of help oh my god out there yeah so the massively contradicting thing which and we talk about this in mental health first aid so so if you're addicted to alcohol it's a dual diagnosis So you've got an addiction and a mental illness. Nine times out of 10 people with an addiction are drinking because they have a mental illness that they're masking. Mm -hmm. But you cannot get support for your mental illness until you stop the drinking or the addictions at bay. How on earth, like, to me, that doesn't make sense. Like, you, so you can't get support for your mental illness until you stop drinking. The, both of those illnesses need to be treated in tandem. They're both part of the same illness. You've got anxiety, you've got depression, you've got PTSD. How do you deal with that? You drink. Like, that is, it's a vicious cycle. So that's one thing that needs change, changing. 100%. It, it's dated. It's old fashioned. That, that needs to change. Secondly, Um, And I I know there's massive debate around this. And I personally think my dad should have been sectioned because he at the end was a danger to himself and a danger to others. Because when I actually saw him in A&E, he had um, wet brains, the alcohol poison had gone to his brain and it got to a point where he didn't recognize me. So I walked into the hospital and he looked at me and he said, 
where's my keys? I need to check that my girls are safe. Well, all of his girls were around him. He wanted to get out of that wheelchair and go and drive his car. Now, that's a danger to others. My dad was a danger to himself because he was carrying on, well, he wasn't drinking or he was carrying on drinking. But when I rung that helpline and I, I was literally at my wit's end, and when I say wit's end, I've never, ever felt in my life so out of control of a situation or so helpless. I've felt, and that pain, it hurts. It physically hurts to watch somebody you love slipping away in front of you and nobody's helping. Because I rung up the helpline and um, I, I, I told them what had gone on and they said, your dad needs to pick up the phone himself and call us. Well, he couldn't pick his head up off the sofa. Like how on earth was he meant to pick up the phone to get his own help? He couldn't pick his head up off the sofa. He was conscious and he would get aggressive, not violent, but he would get aggressive if we said we were calling an ambulance because he was so embarrassed. So my sister who found him um, in that state, my sister's five foot two, tiny little thing, dragged my dad, who's 13 and a half, 14 stone worth of grown man, out the house into the car to take him to hospital. Um, I don't know how she did it, but she did. But we had to do that. We had to drag him there, literally drag him. Um, because nobody, nobody wanted to support, nobody wanted to help. Um, like I said, when we got there and the paramedics saw my sister needed help wheeling him in, they rolled their eyes when they realised what it was. And it, it's just, you think at that point, how on earth are these people meant to get help if nobody is willing to actually help them? But we're going to continue to promote, to advertise, to advocate the use of alcohol. And if you don't drink, then, oh, my God, you're boring. But if you do drink, oh, oh, my God, you're like self-inflicting this. You're doing it to yourself. Like this just it's there needs to be change. There needs to be more awareness. And, you know, the other thing that I find really difficult is the subject people don't want to talk about. Mm very very few people feel comfortable talking about it they feel like it's this dirty secret that needs to be brushed under the carpet we can't possibly talk about this publicly but we need to if we're going to change if it's going to help people we need to um, and that's what I struggle I struggle with not everybody but there's certain elements to it people do not feel it's not it's not a nice thing to talk about it's not a nice thing to openly admit it was very difficult for me to get up on that TEDx platform and admit in front of what what are they on nearly 33 million subscribers that I stigmatized I called my dad weak I said that to him it took a lot of like but I couldn't preach to the audience without without being honest about what I've done because I think that's so important I think we've all done it I think you could probably say to yourself yeah do you know what I stigmatized oh, I've yeah. stigmatized an alcoholic yeah. um we've all done it right that society is ingrained that in us but we need to think about the big picture yeah it is conditioning it's part of our cultural conditioning especially in the UK I mean we have a big booze culture like you mentioned at the beginning it's very easy to get hold of there is this whole, I guess, um, 
yeah, just you can't get it right. You're damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing, um, which is not helpful. And yeah, there needs to be change. So what are you, what do you see being the next step? Is there collaborations that you can see happening? Is there, because you're not a lone voice in this effort. Um, so has any opportunities come out of your TED Talk to kind of pursue this advocacy? Because I think you're more than just an advocate. You're more than that. I think you actually will see it through to some change so what what does that look like do you think so I when I um shared the talk a chap called um Sober Dave is on Instagram he's absolutely great he he's a recovering um he hates the term alcoholic and I agree with him it, it's a it's a very stigmatized label um so he's in recovery he's done incredibly well openly talks about what he's doing he runs an amazing podcast where he interviews people that are on their journey to sobriety and really champions that and he's really keen to get involved in um supporting what I'm doing and I'm keen to support what he's doing in creating some kind of positive change to raise more awareness whether we've got to use campaigns whether we've got to take it to parliament um talk to um or collaborate with other charities other organizations trying to make the same change and actively create this viral campaign that we can just get out there it's all about education i think this is i think it's it's definitely education i think future wise we will get to a point where there will probably be labels attached to alcohol, like there are cigarettes and codeine. I think we will get to that point, but it's baby steps, right? I think it's too conditioned. It's too ingrained. It's too part. It's it's so normal and part of everybody's life. You come home from work, you might have a glass of wine, you might have a bottle of wine. Yes, yeah, so we want to really educate people with a, a massive campaign to raise awareness around it, to change people's mindset and to change people's thought process. So we can start to see more people seeking support and help their addiction. Um, Soap Dave, his name's Dave, David Wilson. He's a sobriety coach, amazing guy, really genuine, really passionate about what he's doing. Um, he's, he's, just, he's just brilliant. And he is really... Um, on the same mission so it's great to actually I get really excited about meeting other people mm-hmm. that are saying the same so I'm thinking, yeah. yeah do you know what this is great because our voices are louder together yeah, um, and I'm tiny like this tiny little voice compared to Dave on social media so it's great to have that kind of support from somebody like him he's got a great podcast as well which is which I'm going to be on this season too, <laughs> which is brilliant so um yeah well I have to commend you for doing the work that you do it's it's sort of sometimes I'm sure it feels like a thankless task and I know right now um you are facing kind of that time of the year where you did lose your dad in 2017 and I know that creeps up on you every year and I remember this time last year sitting down with you to go through your first draft of your application and you were like in this time where it was all just coming flooding back to you yet still you get up and it's like you're you tirelessly kind of forge on and I just want to recognize you for that but also remind you to look after yourself and slow down and make sure you're also taking a break and just like grieving again if that's what you need to do right and I know that you're 
you're trying different things and um and it's all with this view to passing it on and helping others in similar situations so I just want to say I don't actually know that you realize how incredible you are in terms of <laughs> work you do and how it's not thankless because there are so many people whose lives you're touching in a positive way so I just want to say thank you on their behalf well thank you it's very it, it's very difficult I'm not gonna lie it's a very and it does feel at times I do think what am I doing but it's very difficult to create this level of awareness on social media especially when we're living in a world where you said it earlier on you're damned if you do you're damned if you don't so if I go out there and I publicly campaign and I, I struggle with the insecurity of people thinking that I'm doing this for personal gain or I'm, I'm trying to profit, profit, is profit from my dad's, <laughs> yeah, monetize from my dad's death. And that couldn't be further from the truth. When I do this, and maybe it's part of my own therapy journey, and maybe it's something that in the future I need to slow down with and think about myself, because you're absolutely right that a lot of this, maybe is selfish in the fact that I felt a lot of guilt and this is my way of um, honouring my dad, making sure that his death has some kind of purpose and he didn't die in vain. And he's not just another statistic that everybody tucks and rolls their eyes at and it's creating that level of change in his name. So I do find it very difficult to really actively promote that on social media without having the repercussions of, oh, you're just trying to get social media famous or you're becoming trying to become one of these influencers, which is really disrespectful for people to say actually, because there's a lot of good work influencers do. Um, and I always say there's good and bad that comes with social media, but there is a lot of people out there that are sending a positive message which is good and it's it's changing society for the better so I struggle with that and August is just yeah I think you describe it as a spiritual spider bite uh, we he died on the 31st of August and it's a real real weird um month because I feel a trigger of even the smell of the air even the summer month it's just a constant reminder that okay this is August and I anticipate something bad's going to happen and it's and I know what it is. It's the trauma. It's the it's the memory of what we went through during August and the lead up to switching up my dad's machine off. As soon as September hits, I'm a different person. I'm like just completely different person. So it's just it. Yeah, it's um, you're absolutely right. I do need to look after myself and remember that practice what I preach. Eh? Yeah, <laughs> and just and also know that you're coming up against these ingrained beliefs of people right that are so conditioned into our society that all these comments about derogatory comments towards influence for example is it's on them it's on the person that's making the comment right it's their belief about whether that person is doing good or bad it doesn't take away from the good that you're doing so no no absolutely and you're absolutely right and that's something that I'm currently working on um I have I and I think the criticism and the derogatory comments stand out sometimes more than the thousands of nice comments I get and the amount of praise and all of that. It's almost like this imposter within me doesn't believe that, but then goes straight to the very minority of criticism of you're all about the brand. You're not, 
you've got no real um you don't really want to help people you're about promotion and and it's really couldn't be further from the truth those comments hurt but I'm working on that and I think that something in the future where I'll be a lot more resilient to and it'll go over my head but no doubt I have no doubt that that's the trajectory you're on and um, as always I am here for you and looking forward to seeing what you do next so oh thank you where can people follow you, whether it's you, the personal brand, or you as part <laughs> of Warrior Kind? I'd love for everybody to bypass my personal brand and go straight to Warrior Kind and see the amazing work that we're doing to fund people through their mental health. Um, so Warrior Kind is, um, you can find it on Facebook, um, Warrior Kind, or on Instagram, we're warriorkind.uk. Um, my, I, I'm quite active on Instagram in my, um, on my personal profile. And I believe that is Sarah underscore Drage, but I'm going to double check that. Yeah. Sarah, Sarah with a H underscore Drage, um, Rage with a D is how we spell that. Brilliant. Thank you so much for being on the show again, twice. Thank you for having me. You're so welcome. And um, yeah, good luck with everything. And I am here cheering you on and will do what I can to support you. I know. Thank you so much. Lots of love. And see you you next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.